so I'm hyperventilating a little bit. If I fall over, pick me up because I've got some things to say. Though we adore men individually, we agree that as a group they're rather stupid. That men are essential for procreation, but when it comes to pleasure, unnecessary. Dinosaurs eat man. Woman inherits the earth. Safety lights are for dudes. Safety lights are for dudes. <laughs> well, put some skates on. Be your own hero. Things in the air, Kristen. Lord, please give it up for the dazzling vocal stylings of Miss Skimmerly. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 79 of Citizen Dame. Our special Memorial Day episode. It's not special, it's just an average episode that we just figured we were going to record on Memorial Day weekend. Because we're not cool. Did, did we? We didn't have plans. None of us had plans this week, right? Just hanging out. What are plans? <laughs> <laughs> what What are these things called plans? <laughs> As always, I'm Kristen Lopez here with the fantabulous Karen Peterson. Hello. And the loud and audacious Lauren Humphreys Brooks. I think loud <laughs> with love, of course. <laughs> I like that description of me. Uh, hello. <laughs> I'm trying to think of new jazzy adjectives for all of us. Okay? Loud and audacious. I like yes. That. Yes. Okay. I'm going to try to come up with a whole list of synonyms for everybody by the next episode. <laughs> Hopefully get me through the next couple of months. Uh, but we have a lot of stuff to talk about. So let's just dive right into the world of garbage men. Um, this this month or this week felt like there was a lot happening in a very short amount of time that seemed incredibly complex. So we're going to try to hit everything and well, give it the respect it deserves. It kind of felt like the old days of this podcast when those first few weeks were yeah. hitting hard yeah. and fast with all these garbage people. And then we've had a long time where things have kind of settled down and we've had stuff to talk about, but it's been a long time since we've had a lot of big, this big news of this nature. So yeah. Gather round, children. We're going to talk about the bad old days when internet required you to be on the phone and every man was probably a predator. Um, That's so true. Uh, so, those, those I few months ago. This, exactly. The dark days of October 2018. Uh, so um, let's start with the, the story that just literally came and went over the last couple of days so someone overshadowed it <laughs> yeah other things overshadow exactly but i still think I, you know we can talk about whether there's a difference because of different factors i think there might be um so jason mitchell got uh who's the uh star of the film straight out of compton he's on um the chi he's on a bunch of other shows he, he has a, a netflix film Mudbound, that's the other one I couldn't think of. He has a Netflix film called Desperados coming out. Well, supposedly it came very fast and furious that he had been written out of his Showtime series. His agent dropped him due to multiple allegations of misconduct. And that was kind of like all we heard until... Have we heard any updates? I haven't even heard anybody like retweeting the story or talking about it. Um, some people were talking about it the day that it broke, but no, I haven't heard any updates because right. he yeah. kind of got overshadowed by some other higher profile folks being stupid. Um, but yeah, this this situation um, 
It's my understanding that there were several complaints of things that he was doing and saying to actresses on the sets of pretty much everything he has worked on. This wasn't like a one-time deal. This was several this was an ongoing problem that people had had with him. A couple of actresses have have come forth including the Nazim Pedrad who is currently starring in Aladdin. Um and yeah, so this is something that had been really under the radar. We hadn't heard about it, but this had been in the works for a little bit. And the fact that there, that his agent dropped him before, like that was part of the news story that there were even allegations against him. It's like, man, this, this whole thing happened very fast. At least it seemed to. Yeah. And right. And right now they're saying that it's still unclear what finally led anybody to, act against him so yeah, the only thing i know for sure is that someone from lion's gate told the hollywood reporter and this article will be in the show notes but told the hollywood pro- reporter that the producers received quote specific information which was investigated immediately and thoroughly and dealt with as quickly as possible so i always interpret that as what audio video text messages Everybody leaves a paper trail. Well, I don't trail. know, because depending on who it is, audio, visual, and text messages don't always matter, so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, but this this guy, he is, he is he's known, but, like, I even just had to look him up, because when you said Mudbound, I was like, who did he play in Mudbound? And I, and I was like, oh, that guy. Like, yeah. that's the thing. He's he's known, but he's not. He's not a, yet really an A-list actor or someone that is just an, an immediate household name. Yeah, he's more um, of, like, a star on so, the rise. Yeah, and so, and this is obviously arresting that a bit. Um, so, like, even when this came out, I think that was part of the reason why people didn't really talk about it a great deal, was that, you know, he's, it's not a name that you go like, oh, yeah, Jason Mitchell, I know that guy. Um, it, it's not like, you know, if uh, Tom Hanks or something like that got got outed uh, as right. some horrible predator. Exactly. But at the same time, for me, it's it's a little bit odd that, Yes, there's the validity of the criticism that he's not an A-list star. We're going to be talking about a lot of A-list people who did stupid things uh, this week. But at the same time, I mean, they moved incredibly quickly to wipe all presence of him from his management team to Netflix. I mean, Netflix has how many allegations of stuff swirling around them, and they don't move on anything unless... It's absolutely necessary. Well, and they moved pretty quickly on know. Spacey. Um, but I, I think that this is something that... This is just my guess, and I guess we'll have to wait until more of these types of situations come up. But my guess is that this is something that's going to start happening more and more. Uh, is that when people are not big household names, and it is easier to kind of just cut them out of, of everything... This will start to happen. So these people who are not household names yet, I think more and more of them as stuff comes out, there's just going to be no tolerance. There's not going to be giving them the opportunity to become big stars and causing a lot of potential issues when the garbage starts to come out later. Does that make sense? I don't know if I'm making sense. Yeah. Well, I, I, the I point, think that, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. The point I was I was going for that I've seen a lot of women of color talk about specifically with this story is that would they have moved as quickly if it was a white guy? And I think there's validity to that statement. 
Yeah, and that was actually my initial reaction, too. The thing is that I don't know if we can know that until there's a similar situation that involves a white guy and we see how that is dealt with. But I think we've seen similar situations throughout our discussions. And I I think that we've always, there's always this cachet of being the white guy who gets a second chance. And I I, I don't know. I think there's a, a real difference that is being ignored. And I think if Jason Mitchell doesn't ever come back and yet we're still welcoming back the numerous white guys that we already know are terrible people, that says a lot. And I think that's already been proven. Well, I'm, I'm trying, I'm struggling to think of someone who's an actor at kind of the same level where it's that, that like, yeah. Ri- yeah, rising. Yeah. So, so white guy, rising star, not a household name yet, but on his way to being one. Yeah. To me, this um, would be like if Alden Ehrenreich or somebody like it'd be on that. Y- yeah. Something yeah, so like something that, like that level. Yeah. And, and I, mean, I can't think, I can of think of like that. The closest I could think of is Chris Hardwick, who also has, and this is undoubtedly about his privilege, uh, but who also oh, yeah. has a, a number of connections, not just, you know, ab- below the line, not just in terms of his, his bankability, as it were. Yeah, you want to make uh, sure that you can get away with shit, marry a Hearst, and then you're good. <laughs> just yeah. Like- yeah, but I, I'm like I'm I'm trying to think of another white actor who has had the same thing happen to him and that has still managed to come back. And right, I mean maybe there is one, and I'm just like not being able to recall it. But I can't think of one. And so I I think I agree with Karen that we have to wait and see as these things because these things are going to continue to happen um, if it does end up splitting down racial lines. And I, I agree, Kristen. It it might, and I wouldn't honestly be surprised if it did. Right. Um, but. It's difficult. I, it's difficult for me to say, certainly at this moment. Mm-hmm. Well, the story is still developing. We'll definitely keep an eye on it because I think it's it's definitely important. And again, it was really swept under the rug in the rush of Can News, Can the film <laughs> festival that's still pissing us off. Two weeks later, you know, I just have to say that like the first couple of days of Can, I was really feeling the envy of like, man, I wish I was there. There's some cool stuff FOMO, happening this year. So much FOMO. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> I was really glad I wasn't there and thought I probably never want to go to Can because it sounds like a shit show. That is not to say that if the people at Can say one day, hey, we want to send those Citizen Dame girls to Can, that we would not accept. Um, just oh, totally. Totally party it up in France. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I will accept exactly. free tickets. Yes, yes. I'm not going to wear high heels because, I mean, I'm not. But, you know, we can talk about <laughs> that. Um, so, can happened again this week. And a lot of other terrible shit went down. Now, I don't... We'll get to Tarantino in a second because I feel like we have more to say. But this came out over the last couple of days. And... I wrote it on the agenda because I feel it's worth talking about again. So if you don't remember, in 2013, Blue is the Warmest Color came out, um, directed by uh, Abdelatif Kach- Is it Kanich or Kachich? I don't know. Kachich. He's an asshole, regardless. Um, but there was all this discussion about how the young actresses at the center of that film did not like making it because they felt very uncomfortable having to do what were essentially unsimulated sex scenes. 
and I got told by a bunch of male critics that I was wrong and it was a beautiful movie and how dare I love is love is love and all that bullshit. Um, so now he has a new movie that's premiering at Cannes that male critics are saying is just a four and a half hour porn and it's been revealed that he had to ply his actors with booze in order to get them to do the sex scenes because they did not want to. Hmm. Yeah, he got everyone liquored up and then let them have sex and just filmed it and put it in a movie. And this is called art. So and this is allowed to compete at Cannes. Let's let's just okay. I I don't know about you guys, but if you're sitting around your <laughs> friend's basement and he tries to get you drunk and then says, "Hey, you guys are so drunk. Here's my video camera, and I'm going to record you guys having sex." What do we call that? <laughs> I feel like that's that's called assault in some way, shape, or form. I mean, I guess if it premieres at Cannes, it's okay. But you I, know, I don't but, really know. It's French. You know, there there were not enough good female directors to, to have films <laughs> in competition at Cannes because you know, I mean, we don't want to like lower the bar. It would be unfair to I'd... women if they allowed uh-huh. them to compete with that dreck. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, I'm certain that there are some female filmmakers that could totally make consensual porn films and submit them to Cannes, and, you know, that would be fine, I guess. I, I don't know. I, I Don't get me wrong. There is a whole interesting topic worth discussing about the line between porn and art house, okay, which we have never really definitively figured out, okay? But my problem here is that this is straight up what Bertolucci did, or the thousands of directors who said, oh, hey, you know what? My actress didn't want to do something, so I just did it without her knowledge, or I berated her until she did it. Or now we're just straight up getting people drunk, who I think these are. this is a predominantly young cast as well, and just telling them to fuck each other on camera. Art! And, and I, say, I say this as somebody who, when I saw Blue is the Warmest Color in 2013, I really felt scummy watching it. I felt like I was watching a movie that I that was essentially like a porn film that was made without anybody's consent. And I got so much shit by predominantly male critics for saying that, well, you know, was it just because it was it had nothing to do with them being lesbian characters. It's the fact that you can tell the two actresses who later came out and said they were uncomfortable were uncomfortable. Yeah. But dudes are like, no, it's beautiful. What, however oh, they yeah. want to explain jacking off to an art film. I get it. I get it. Yeah. You don't want to get a porn at your local blockbuster, so you want whatever red box. So you want to get Download an NC-17 rated. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exa- wanna... Exactly. Pornhub exists. Like, exactly. <laughs> no, no, I'm just assuming it's like some white basic dude film bro okay who wants to invite some girl over and he's like you know what i want to get laid what can i make her watch that's not porn but i can convincingly tell her it's a movie blue is the warmest color this piece of shit um really dude i want to know i want a man to tell me he got laid because he showed somebody blue is the warmest color like that's what i want um i don't i'm trying to i'm struggling to think of a girl that would be like oh yeah that's that's totally hot i want to have sex with a man now like right right. (laughs) yes exactly like oh my god but i I mean that was so many of the critiques about blue is the warmest color was that it was this totally male gaze perspective on a lesbian relationship that's that's 
part that's part of the thing it's just like that well okay you're talking about most of pornography right there right so it goes along with another director who apparently doesn't Karen were you gonna say something nope oh I thought I heard somebody like take an intake of breath like they were gonna say something no, I no. heard that too so but I, it wasn't me it was a ghost it was the person who loves blue is the warmest color obviously coming to tell you <laughs> It was some uh, ghost about to say, well, actually. Exactly. <laughs> or maybe it was Kim. Maybe she's on here, like, secretly. Just, like, all the oh, Well, actually. <laughs> so totally on. something Kim would say, by the way. <laughs> we miss Kim. Another director who was at Cannes. You guys, I don't know if you know this, but Tarantino had a movie at Cannes this week. No. Do you remember how that uh, movie's on your 10 most anticipated list? It yeah. is. It is on my 10 most anticipated. <laughs> and I still stand by that because at this point. You're a brave person. I, exactly. At this point, I feel like I need one. to see. I need to see it. I need to see it at this point. Um, I've heard it's a two and a half hour loving ode to 1969 as only Quentin Tarantino can do it. And I heard there's a 20 minute discussion of Leo and Brad Pitt yelling spaghetti at each other. Art. Oh, I thought that was a joke. Yay. I honestly, honestly, you, I, I would not put it past him to actually have it be real. I wouldn't either, See, but the, the way it was written, I'm pretty sure it was a joke, but now I'm not sure. Exactly. <laughs> See? I saw, exactly. I saw that tweet and I was like, is that is that real? Or is it making fun of things? I don't know. That's, that's how it is with Tarantino. You literally don't know if stupid bullshit is real or not. So it came, the, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood premiered at Cannes. Uh, depending on who you talk to, it is either the best thing ever made or a motherfucking masterpiece. Um, and those are the two extremes, uh, which you expect with a film festival Aren't audience. Those the same but... thing. Yes, they are the same thing. That that was the, my hu- my crude attempt <laughs> oh at humor. Uh, either the best thing ever made my or a masterpiece. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so regardless, it, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood premiered and there was a question asked of Tarantino during the film's press conference by a female journalist um, about why Sharon Tate had the le- least amount of lines. And Tarantino responded with four words, I reject your hypothesis. I don't think he knows what hypothesis means because a hypothesis is a theory that you're testing out and trying to prove whether it's true or not. So he really should have said statement. Sorry, English major coming through here. Like, words have meaning. Um, so he refused to answer the question. Oscar-winning writer, Robbie, by the way. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Margot Robbie did answer it in a weird way about how it was her death marks the loss of innocence. So apparently that's why she has less lines than everybody else. Um, and then I retweeted the article, and all I said was a valid question, and I got <laughs> fucking roasted by weird alt-right assholes yeah, for three did. days. And so, yeah. Serves um, you right for making a two-word statement. I was honestly afraid to comment on your tweet because I didn't want them coming after me. Oh, and you guys didn't even see the DMs that I got from people that were just no. like, and I reported several of them, and they none of them violated Twitter's terms of privacy of course at not. all. Of course not. Um, so, okay, here's my thing. And this has created a firestorm with, like, critics, predominantly men, again, 
saying that, oh, did we just forget all the amazing female characters that Tarantino's made? That ne- doesn't refute the question. Like, I feel like we forgot what the specific question that was asked was, which is why is Sharon yeah. Tate have the least amount of lines? Yeah, they're talking about this as if it's an attack on all of his films in the past. And she specifically asked, Margot Robbie's super talented. She's been nominated for an Oscar. She's been in all these great movies. Why didn't you give her more to do? Which that was, was a criticism question. we've all had. Exactly. exactly. It's not strange. He damn well should have known that that question was going to be asked. He did know that question was going to be asked, and he was prepared to be a dick about it. That's the thing. Like, that didn't ca- catch him by surprise at all. If you watch the video, which I have more than once, if you watch it, it he's not surprised by the question. He just doesn't want to answer it, and he wants to make a very big point of not answering it. And so he does that in the most obnoxious way that he can, which is to say simply, I reject your hypothesis and stop talking. He, he could have said, well, I disagree with where I think you're going with this and here's why. Or I'd really like Margot to talk about this from her perspective. He could have done any of those things, but instead just, mm, I'm not going to answer that. Well, and the problem is too, that he, he's later asked a question about Roman Polanski which he had a, an answer for, you know, like that's my problem is that he can, he has somebody telling him, these are the questions you should expect. Here are the answers. And then he has another question that he just outright refuses. And that's, and then it turns into this whole discussion about how as a director, he is untouchable because he's put women in his films. And as somebody who loves Jackie Brown, Jackie Brown is an outlier in his oeuvre. I mean, if you really look at it in terms of, what he's doing with that film and that was also 20 years ago even something like kill bill where uma thurman criticized him which i love i got so many people people that i'm actually supposed to be acquaintances with who said well you know uma thurman walked back those comments that she made about him and blamed them all on weinstein i was like that does not negate what he openly did to her why why is it that he is Teflon and now it needs to be like looking at his his whole filmography and how if he doesn't answer this question it is therefore an attack on the fact that he's a totally feminist director which he's not these are criticisms that have followed him for years well that that was one of the things that sort of drove me crazy about all of this is that you've got these like layers of what is happening so first you've got the initial question right which was a totally legitimate question that he could have answered and chose not to Right. And Margot Robbie answered it like we might not like what she has to say. We might not agree with her, but she did try to give a response to it, an honest response, apparently. Also, without like demeaning the film, which is understandable because she, it's, it's a movie that she's there promoting. Um, and so you've got that layer. And then the next layer is, you know, that it then spiraled into this conversation about Tarantino's films, which is a totally legitimate conversation to have. Like, I think that we should have that conversation. And it, we're probably going to have it even more once, you know, more human beings actually get to see this movie. Um, but when we began talking about, like, particularly on Twitter, and I even saw this, I 
fuck, man, I even saw this on Facebook, a places like that, where people were actually having this conversation. It was the same shit over and over again. It's just like, well, he puts women in his movies. How can you claim that Kill Bill isn't a feminist film? It's just like, well, actually, I, I think, not only do I think that Kill Bill isn't a feminist film, I think that this has been talked about. Like, the one of the major films that everyone was discussing was Death Proof. And there have been feminist analyses of that that have come down on multiple sides. And it said, like, yeah, this is a really feminist film. And on the other hand, it's just like, well, no, let's look at the way that he actually treats uh, female characters in his films and the way that he uses revenge and trauma and violence against women and all of that stuff. This is a conversation that has been going on pretty much since, like, 1994. How we're still having the same debate and we're still repeating the same points and the... primarily men but i i also saw a number of women making the same kind of arguments of just like because he puts women in his films ergo he's feminist it's just like no that's not that isn't how feminist criticism works that isn't how feminism in movies work and you can't simply decide that this dude is a this dude who has been openly problematic for years and openly controversial for years you can't just be like yeah he's totally a feminist there's no further conversation it's it's lazy it's bad criticism it's bad theory and and it's just bullshit and that i think that one of the people that you're referencing Kristen, actually wound up blocking me because i finally said one too many things to him that made him mad but it was the it was the same kind of thing of of like we're going to you know, because Uma Thurman walked back some of the comments about Tarantino, that somehow negates what he did to her. So there are so many layers to this, and it has gotten flattened to a degree that we can't we can't have the conversation about it. We can't talk about the shit that he does in his movies. Uh, we can't talk about the shit that he does in real life, that none of it matters. It's like, why, why are we so protective of Tarantino? Why are so many people this defensive immediately defensive of this guy it's a very bizarre phenomenon i think a lot of it has to do with tarantino is still so representative of the early 90s like fuck film school mentality yeah you know he didn't go to film school and therefore every average dude with a blog who is like i didn't go to film school and look at tarantino we're the same you know like i feel like they feel that that is them and, yeah. and Tarantino is also this guy that has created this persona of being for film and being for the film lover. And I think that that's a very attractive persona. It's, I mean, it's a front. As we've talked about, as I've talked about, like everything that a celebrity shows you is very highly cultivated. But I think people are still very attracted to that. Yeah, and, and and like you say, I think I think even that on on our Slack, Kim may have mentioned it that that these these men see see themselves in him, and that these are the kind of movies that I would make. You know, it's just like yeah, and that might be a problem. Like you know, maybe you want to consider your attitudes towards women and your attitudes towards black people uh, just a little bit, because some of these some of these things were not particularly acceptable in the nineteen nineties, and they're sure as fuck not acceptable now. Um, I, I do find it interesting that this all started from Tarantino declining, like rudely declining to answer a question posed by a woman. Um, and I think that that's very indicative also that this became so it, people got so immediately defensive about it. Well, that's my other question too, is how would he have handled this question if it was answered, if it was asked by a man? Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and there it has to be. There has to have there has to be a gender issue in this. Like that that's one of the things that just flummoxes me about some of the response. Is that, and for, including from guys who are just like, yeah, feminism, yeah, I'm, to, I'm total ally, all of that. And then suddenly they're just like, she was trying to get him. And it's like, but, but I mean, what she asked was pretty straightforward, pretty standard, not terribly controversial, really, question. And, you know, your your boy didn't respond very well. And, and, and yeah, how would he have responded if a man had asked the same question? Um, would it have been perceived as being about gender? You know, all of that shit. It, it's how we're still at this point in some of these conversations. It just boggles me because it shows that a lot of these guys have not been paying attention. They have not been listening and they really do believe that they are allies when they're not. Mm-hmm. Well, in, in the grander context of actually talking about the subject matter too, this is the Manson movie with money behind it. And that's also something that I, I think is getting lost in this discussion, that Tarantino's selling this as, oh, this tribute to Sharon Tate and the, the family is on board with it. And that's a valid question about why she has the least amount of lines. And, and we've all given our theories about what we think the plot of this movie is going to be and her, her place within it. And answering that would have been a great time from a PR perspective, I should have been in this apparently, to direct that narrative to be like, hey, she has the least amount of lines because of this, but at the same time, this is a movie that, ha- I mean, try to try to sell it as something, which is what you've been doing this entire lead up to it, which is that according to Tarantino, this is some sort of weird ass tribute. Um, and that would have been at least some way to answer, but even Margot Robbie's qu- answer where she's talking about how it's the loss of innocence, that feels like such a pre-written statement that I think even Brad Pitt has said something similar to that in promoting this movie that does not bring up how this movie is supposedly meant to be a positive tribute to Sharon Tate. And, yeah. It it comes off again as this silencing of her, silencing of her existence. She's been... I mean, the way that it comes off as is that she's been turned into a symbol, that she's not even really a person, per se. She's an image. She's a thing that is symbolic of something else. And using women, and particularly violence against women and female trauma as symbolic is pretty standard in in the Western cinematic canon, and has also been one of the things that has been highlighted by feminist film critics for a long time as being a problem. You can't just use female trauma to drive, you know, to, to say something big about the nature of the nation or the nature of society or something like that. It's turning this real human being who actually died um, and was horribly murdered into a thing, an, an object, which is the way that she was treated in life. Well, I cannot get past to the fact that the original release date for this movie that Tarantino wanted was the 50th anniversary of her murder. And that's just, that's never set well with me. Even though Sony fixed that, that's always been a a spot of contention for me. This is a reminder that Charlie Says is out on VOD, I believe, this week. If you have not seen it, you should go see it. It's one of the 
I'm assuming it's going to be one of the best Manson movies. I have I have my thoughts, and it's directed and written by women. Yay! Yay! <laughs> uh, so moving on. <sighs> this is the one I wanted to talk about the most, but I also didn't want to talk about it at all. So. I don't know how this started. So somebody feel free to give background if they have it. If memory serves, Moby wrote a autobiography. Yeah. Where he talked mm-hmm. about how Natalie Portman at 18 desperately wanted him. <laughs> and how they dated. And he was like, no, young girl, I can't date you. But, I mean, I will if you're into it. And then Natalie Portman came out and was like, what the fuck are you talking about? We never dated. I thought you were a creep. And he's like, I don't know why you say that we didn't date. And she sent out another statement, like, because we didn't date. And then he posts a picture of himself half naked standing next to her as proof of said relationship. Yeah. Oh my I mean, God. I can bust out my picture with me and Army Hammer in a hotel room and say that we were totally in a relationship, but that doesn't make it Karen, so. I thought, I mean, I don't know why he would say that you weren't. I mean, come on. I mean, clearly we're I mean, together. I mean, yeah, Oscar Isaac, we're clearly together. We have a photo of us together. That's what so, the picture I mean. proves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, I'm going to go back to your fictional friend in the basement who hasn't taken a photo with a shirtless man and looked clearly uncomfortable and disinterested and then had him say that you had a relationship. I mean, who hasn't <laughs> had that? God. Um, but it brought up a lot of questions about the many fact questions. that... Yes, many questions, starting with the fact that he was Why dating an 18-year-old. Oh, wait. Why is Moby... <laughs> If I could have lived 30 years never remembering Moby, I would have been very happy. Um, but Yeah, I but literally I, had forgotten he existed until this week. Come on, Karen. Who doesn't, who doesn't still rock out to him and Gwen Stefani's rendition of Southside? Me. Yeah, I'm I sorry don't. if anybody gets that song stuck in their head. It's a terrible song, by the way. Um, so... It brought up a lot of questions about the fact that she was 18. He was decidedly not 18. She says they did not date. And that she was, again, if a woman is telling you that she feels uncomfortable, maybe not double down on it. Um, I just, and, and then posting pictures. And then he, like, acted like she was just being so unreasonable. And he finally said, like, oh, I'm sorry that she felt uncomfortable, I guess. He's one of those guys that thinks that I'm uncomfortable is just code for I have like you need to try harder. Yeah, of course, Karen. Don't yeah. you know that no means <laughs> yes and fuck off means I will. <laughs> I mean, I guess if you try, try a little bit harder. I mean, yeah, I will. No eventually. means yes. It will be a yes when you ask me enough times, right? <laughs> it's it's just it's just so it's so classic in just the weirdest way you know this this guy being like oh yeah we we dated but then I realized that you know she was a little too young for me even though like she's totally in love with me and then she and she's literally like we never dated dude like we didn't and he keeps on insisting that she was 20 and she's like no I was 18 and I found you creepy like all of that was it's just it's just like 
listening to this all play out and watching it all play out and then he and then he doubles down he doubles down to say that that yeah no we totally did date i don't know why you're denying it it's like maybe because you didn't date like just let it go please dear god it's i i mean it, it's kind of quintessential in terms of uh in terms of poor natalie portman's career that she seems to have been pursued by creepy men pretty much ever since she started acting which and she this started is acting what happens when your first movie is when you're 13 and you're in uh what's that dude the professional the professional yeah Hassan. yeah yeah Luke and Hassan, it's, like... it, am, am i the only one that's seen the director's cut of that movie mm, i think so yeah yeah it's the the american cut is a great film the uh director's cut is fucking disgusting um, but, but no, and it brought up this question about how we've sexualized so many young women. Natalie Portman is a prime example. She's, she's almost a weird example in terms of just how sexualized she's been. So you have The Professional, if anybody's seen, it's a, it's a movie I, I know is so problematic and I enjoy it on, on a weird level. Uh, if anybody's seen Beautiful Girls from like the mid nineties, she's in a very weird relationship with timothy hutton in that movie and it's supposed to be like cutesy um is timothy and... hutton or matt dillon no it's timothy hutton matt dillon um, is in the movie as well it's been a while i can't remember who's who in that one i'm not gonna say that i own it but i might own it um so trust me it's, it's <laughs> timothy hutton oh i believe um, you but... i just was confused because it's been a long time um there's so many douchebags in that movie too oh like, matt dillon's like with lauren holly in that right yeah. Uh, no. Yeah, no. Well, yeah. yeah. He's he, Lauren Holly and Mira Sorvino. He wants to be so, okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many Miramax players in that movie. Um, so but, true. But but then in 2016 there was that whole. It wasn't really a scandal, but Natalie Portman got involved in this weird triangle that she didn't even know she was in with the writer Jonathan Safran Foer, who. They exchanged emails, and he thought that that meant they were going to leave their respective spouses for each other, and he actually told his wife he was leaving her for Natalie Portman, and Natalie Portman was like, oh, wait, what? I'm not leaving my husband, dude. I'm not down for this. It just seems like this poor woman has been so codified as being this unattainable, almost like last Lolita figure that it's driving men to do the dumbest shit but then we also saw like i remember growing up the olsen twins when they turned 18 the countdown calendars the, and, and they made jokes about that um emma watson uh and we're, we're seeing it now a little bit with millie bobby brown and we're seeing these pictures of natalie portman clearly being a, a teenage girl trying to take a picture with a, a you know performer that she probably knew and he's going around saying that they they dated. Like, you're a grown ass man, guy. What the hell is your problem? Well, and props to Natalie Portman for being remarkably well adjusted through all of this. Yes. Like, she seems to have managed to like so, so many of of girls who who went through that. Like like you said, like people like Lindsay Lohan or or um, or Miley Cyrus or some uh, or fuck man Judy Garland like, Shirley you know, Temple really I mean Shirley yeah Temple. yeah so many of those people like had real real problems um, in to greater or lesser degrees and she's seems to have come through pretty well like no this was weird and creepy and I didn't like it and I don't know what's wrong with him like she she seems to have had that that perspective but yeah it, it does raise those questions about the way that we sexualize people and and not even just young 
girls, but young women. And, and we uh, talked about that, it with young boys, too. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. I know that a number of people talked about, you know, Natalie Portman's kind of persona for a very long time as being the, the, the manic pixie dream girl. And the way that that men approach her, so the, the, yeah, like you're saying, she was this unattainable thing that they, it's like they imagined themselves in a relationship with her and therefore they were. And that's terrifying. That's a really frightening thing. I can't imagine that she's not creeped out by this at some level of being like, you know, these men, these, these men fan- obviously fantasized that they, that they were together. <laughs> Right. So, yeah, it just reminds everybody, you know, the guy trolling the high school is just not cool. It never was cool. And now we're, I love that we're getting guys who are just like outing themselves at this point, being like, oh, yeah, I was totally down for 18 year old Natalie Portman. Like, no, dude. Again, if you are, I'm, I'm speaking to all the men that I'm assuming listen to our podcast. If you're a man trying to get laid and you're, you're trying to tell a woman that, you know, Natalie Portman at 18 was hot. I want to know if that's been successful for you. I'm just curious. <laughs> <sighs> I think we've emptied the garbage for this week. Oh, but uh, moving on to questions. <laughs> So we have, we had a lot of questions this week, which is actually really cool. Um, so we're going to start with uh, one from Merlin at Scripted Merlin, who asks, which Tarantino movie should have been directed by a woman and why would it be better? All of them. And I think the answer is obvious. Oh, wait. <laughs> I, I actually had a very, I had a very specific answer for this one um, because it's a, it's a transition that always bothered me about his movies, but Kill Bill 2 specifically, I think would be interesting to have seen from a, a, a female director or at least a female screenwriter. Like my issue with Kill Bill outside of the obvious was always that Uma Thurman's character goes from being this like badass samurai sword wielding lady, but then you find out it's because she lost her baby, but then you find out that the baby is also alive. So then the second movie becomes this weird ass domestic drama. Um, between her and David Carradine, talk about an age difference there. Um, I, I really would have been interested in seeing a female director talk about like, how do you be this badass and have a child that you've never connected to? Like, I feel there's a lot of diff- like deeper subtext than just Uma Thurman kills people. She does that thing, the five point exploding heart thingy that she does. Like, I think there would have been way more discussion about like what it means to have had all these bodies wrapped up on your watch but then you also have to be a mom um i it's like kill bill started out maybe alluding to that a little bit in the first fight in the first movie but then it just did nothing with it um so yeah i think a female director or at least a female screenwriter would have been really interesting to actually explore those questions that tarantino doesn't even think to ask uh i was trying to think about yeah i mean i i think that that Karen said all of them actually would be would have been interesting with a female director. But I, I go back to Death Proof, which is actually one of my favorite Tarantino films. I, I do like that movie as much and as problematic as it is. As problematic but that's that's the thing. When I first saw it, I was like, Yes, oh god, I love this movie. Like I I love this. And you know, the, the, the second half of the film is just spectacular. Um 
but the more that I've looked at it and gone back to it and been like, yeah, there, there are serious issues. And that's why I think that that plot and that concept done by a female director and a, and a female screenwriter, I mean, I think that that would be the assumption, um, would be the same but different enough, different enough to actually take some of those problematic aspects and either get rid of them or interrogate them. Um, and I've always really liked it when women have taken on exploitation genre um, and played with that and found ways to make exploitation more feminist and, and approach those kinds of revenge narratives in, in a different way. And I like that. So it, I think that Death Proof would have been a really interesting one. Karen, you want to throw out one or just stick with all of them? Um, I mean, I'm going to stick with all of them, but I, cause I mean, I just don't, it took me a long time to finally get to where I felt comfortable admitting it, but I really just don't like Tarantino as a director. Um, but I will say, Kristen, that I think that your points specifically about Kill Bill 2, I haven't seen Death Proof, so uh, I avoided that one, but I think your points specifically about Kill Bill 2 are very apt, and I completely agree with you. Woohoo! Uh so moving on to another question, um, we actually got this. This wasn't on the agenda, and I didn't want to forget it. Um, this came from Mason Perrier at Unstoppable Rant. He asks, what musician do you think the next musical biopic should be about? Because if you don't know, we're getting another one next week with Elton John and Rocketman. Um, so I, I have a serious answer and, a, and an answer that I would just love to see happen in my lifetime. So I keep saying that they need to make a, and I know, I think Australian television did this. So do not send me like it already exists. I'm talking big screen. Okay. I, I dream of a day when we get a Michael Hutchins in excess uh, story, preferably one with a Hemsworth and leather pants. I know they don't look the same. I don't care. Um, but that's my dream. That's a serious one. Um, and then my, my fantasy one that I just, I want to see, I want like a big gaudy, musical biopic on Britney Spears. I want all the songs. I want the Justin Britney breakup. Like I want all of that. Okay. We'll never get it, but I want it to exist so bad that if I just wish it into existence, like maybe it'll happen. Maybe. I don't know. Uh Karen, Lauren, do you guys got an answer? Hmm. I wasn't prepared for this mm. question because I didn't see it. But um Yeah. Let me let me just think for a moment. Um, I'm struggling. I, to think I think of they're one because... probably. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, no, I was I was just to say I was struggling to think of one because most of the bands and musicians that I love, I do not want to see them rendered in a musical biopic. Like, I mean, my first response was like, "Oh, the Beatles," but that's kind of been done. And also, I just don't want to see it. There are some things that I just don't want to deal with, like in any form. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think, man. Keith Moon would be interesting. It would Ooh, be insane. That would be good, yeah. It would be insane. But again, you know, I, I think one of the problems that I always have with this stuff is that you've got some of these musicians that are truly one of a kind. And I mean, that was one of the issues with Bohemian Rhapsody beyond everything else was that Freddie Mercury and, and his persona and his voice was just so unique that it's hard to, to you know, see that depicted on screen. And, and have it be, I, I mean, even after watching Bohemian Rhapsody, I went and watched the 
Queen's Live Aid concert, and I was like, there's no fucking comparison, man. Like, you just can't. Like, there's no way that you can watch Rami Malek and then watch Freddie Mercury and be like, oh, yeah, Rami Malek was great. Um, yeah, but Keith Moon, I think, is the only one I got. Yeah, I mean, this this question is hard for me because, yeah, I think of some, it's like, some of the bigger bands, yeah, like the Beatles, it's been done. Um, the Beach Boys kind of have been done. Um, you know, the Rolling Stones, who wants to watch two hours of a bunch of guys just getting high a lot, you know? Like, that's just not, it's not fun to me. Um, but then well, I, I think, think of other things. I think Almost Famous like, also touched on all of that. True. Very true. Um, and did it really well. Um, but then I think about some of, more of the stories of, like, what could have been. Like, one of the the ones that popped in my head, and I'm so sorry that I cannot think of the name of the actual band, but, um... The band in the movie Detroit that they're on their way to like a big their big first gig or they've just finished it or whatever and and they're like kind of on the way up and then this terrible incident happens that kind of derails their plans and like what happened to those guys I I, I would be more interested in stories like that of of these bands that were just on the verge and then something really big went wrong. I will say that it, I'm surprised they've never adapted the book, but I would love for them to do it. If anybody's read Pamela Desbar's series on groupies, let's spend the night together. That would be, I'm surprised nobody's adapted that. That would be really awesome. And I dream of all of that. Uh, again, I have, I have a lot of weird specific questions. As long as nobody ever makes a tiny Tim biopic, I would be completely happy. <laughs> um, yeah. Did you miss my Twitter uh, rant about my irrational fear that I had of I have of Tiny Tim. It's a big deal in my house. <laughs> I know it's not even funny. It man fucking it's terrifies so me. Okay. I mean, I mean, it is kind of funny. <laughs> it's it's very frightening. Scary. <laughs> no, literally, you you want to watch me like physically leave a room? My my brothers do this at least a couple times a year. They play that fucking song. And I will, I will leave. I will literally leave because I can't handle it. Uh, five-year-old fear. <laughs> I don't know why. It's just not a thing that is ever... Nope. Nope. Fuck that. Some people fuck are afraid that. of snakes. Some people spiders. Some people tiny. Tim. Uh, yeah, literally, I tell people my t my three things that I fear the most are grasshoppers, death, and tiny Tim. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. This is These are secrets, y'all, that I am burying on air. Um, <laughs> so moving on to uh, our last question. This comes from Keith at KH Derek. What are your favorite movie snacks? Popcorn. I, I like yeah, M&M's. I eat M&M's a lot, or Bunch of Crunch, or the, uh, what is it, the cookie dough bites but they got to be frozen my mom so and i like to get peanut m&ms and put them in our popcorn or that also works with hot tamales too oh you're you're one of those people yeah. i never thought the concept of mixing candy oh with popcorn. i love the sweet with the salty it's so good yeah, yeah i always liked uh snow caps and popcorn oh yeah i've never had a snow cap in my life i feel am i missing out on something i you mean are. they're basically yeah they're basically chocolate chips with like little sprinkles on them so <laughs> I mean that's essentially what they are but they're really good they are I will I will have to put that on my list of things to consume at some point in my life um so we did get a trailer this week that I did want to talk about uh we got the first trailer for Terminator Dark Fate this is the next installment of the Terminator series this is both uh 
a reboot-ish and a sequel. I've heard that it's... It's did, basically did a sequel to T2. Yeah, that it's retconning and ignoring everything that happened after 2. Yes. Um, which is fine with me. Um, but it's directed by Tim Miller, who did Deadpool. Um, he forwent Deadpool 2 in order to do this movie instead. Yes. Um, so the trailer for this... I've told this story before, so I won't I won't belabor it again. But I've I vowed that I will never be excited for another Terminator movie after Salvation broke my heart and ripped it out of my chest. So um, I saw the trailer for this, and I was like, okay, not gonna get excited, not gonna get excited. And then Linda Hamilton comes out with that big fucking gun, and I was just like, oh my god, I'm so excited. I I'm love Linda so Hamilton. Sorry, Sarah Kristen. I'm so sorry. You're gonna be disappointed. <laughs> I know I'm gonna be disappointed. I know, but see, here's the thing: the Terminator franchise, my, next to my my you know fear of Tiny Tim, uh, my my Terminator love started young. Okay, my parents didn't really care what I watched, um, so I watched Terminator at a very young age, and Sarah Connor was kind of like my hero. Um, and I love Linda Hamilton and everything she's ever done. And I think it's a travesty that we do not have her in everything. So I don't want to be excited about this, but I feel like a key reason why all of the sequels sucked is because she's not in them. If it was just James Cameron writing Sarah Connor, then any person could have played that character. But they can't because you need Linda Hamilton. She is Sarah Connor and Sarah Connor is her. I don't want it to suck. Please don't suck. I, I mean, I think the big selling point of this film is Linda Hamilton. I don't think that there is any other. So it'll be it'll be interesting. Badass grandma, like cool. I still don't know what the plot is. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what the plot is. I just know that as long as it's her, I don't even care about Arnold. Like I don't give a shit. You don't need him in this movie. All you need is her being a full on badass. Simple. Okay. All right. <laughs> Karen, Karen, what? I feel like you want to say something, but you're holding back. I honestly don't. I, I'm not excited for this movie. I wish that these movies would just stop. Um, I'm getting, yeah. I'm getting bored of the nostalgia thing. I really am of tapping into stuff, you know, from 20, 30, 40 years ago to just find something else. There are so many other stories to tell. I mean that is one of the weird things about the Terminator franchise is that the last the last film that got any degree of, of critical acclaim and I I mean I, I don't know how the other ones did at the box office but the last one that really got any attention was T two which, which was, was in like, like 1992 91 yeah I yeah I wanted to say like 89 I was just like I I was I know that I was very young <laughs> and and the fact that this franchise is still going on just seems is a very it's weird it's very strange they keep trying to bring it back that's the thing this isn't this isn't a franchise that's been ongoing it's not like i mean star trek started in the 60s and they'll bring out new things all the time and it's you know some some of them work better than others but it's something that will always continue to be popular with with terminator that's not the case it had a really great first movie it had a really great sequel which you know i would say is actually better than the first movie um, but then after that, it's like they'll go a few years and they'll try to do something. It does bleh, okay-ish. And then it'll go away again for a while. And then they try to bring it back. And it, it they've never been able to go back and capture 
what the first two did, and yet they keep trying. And that's what I'm just tired of. I'm not saying anything. I am so afraid of being disappointed again that I'm just gonna say my silent prayers and hope that it's not Genesis. It doesn't have Jed Courtney in it, so I mean, already it's gotta be better. Sorry, Kim. Um, So that comes out November 1st. Yay! I don't know. Good, um, it comes out before uh, AFI, so I won't have to deal with all the people speculating that it's going to be the secret screening. You won't You won't have to deal with me. Well, actually, no. It would be hilarious to actually witness me watching this, because after the last time, watching a Terminator movie with me is kind of a hot ticket item in my house. <laughs> So, moving on to reviews. Um, so, not a whole lot came out this weekend, but we want to do our part uh, to discuss Booksmart, the new directorial debut from Olivia Wilde that did not make a ton of money. Uh, and there's a, a whole separate discussion. Maybe we'll talk about that uh, for a second. But it's not, it didn't crack the top five. Is that what I'm hearing? Correct. So, I think it's number seven. Here's my thing. Six. There's been a lot of discussion about why did it go wide? Annapurna dropped the ball on promotion. Then you have other female directors who were kind of grousing about how they didn't get the same promotion as Booksmart and how they want it. Um, and then there's the other discussion about how really they did make a decent amount of money. It's just Hollywood's new expectations of how much people need to make with their movies needs to change. I mean, it's upsetting that this movie is not number one at the box office, but it's also going up against a big Disney remake. Did we really expect it to? No, I didn't expect it to beat Aladdin. However, here's something that I think, because people are saying, oh, well, you know, it's missing out to movies like Avengers and stuff. Something that I looked at, because I think the easiest film, it's not a straight, direct, fair comparison, but I think the easiest film to compare this to is Superbad, which opened in August with $33 million. That's not adjusted. That's 2007 or whatever dollars, $33 million. And it was in theaters at the same time as Born Ultimatum, um rush hour three so it was like it was also going up against studio movies that had only been out for a week or two so i don't know what the deal is with book smart uh i i i i mean i'm not i'm not a box office pundit like i i will say that right now one of the things that i said earlier today um on twitter about this was was partially about the comparison with something like aladdin which is always going to beat an yeah. R-rated teen comedy. It, it is like, there's no, there's no question about that. Um, one of the other things that I think that this is, this is where, so, you, you know, you mentioned super bad in the films that it went up against. And those, those are some of those are what, so you got rush hour three, which is a, a franchise film. Um, what was the other one? You mentioned a, another big one. Um, or an ultimatum. Or an ultimatum. Yeah. Or an ultimatum, yeah. Um, I, I think, I do think that the, the demographics have changed. The box office demographics have changed. And one of the things you've got with something like Aladdin or something like Avengers Endgame is you have these big franchises that have been dominating theaters in in a way that they just 
that they didn't really in 2007. So none of the none of those other films that Superbad went against um, were the same level, I guess, mm-hmm. as something like Avengers or even as something like Aladdin. And and I I think that we have to make allowances for that True. on the one hand. Um, the other thing is that it is Memorial Day weekend. Uh, as as I as I've said, you know, if you're talking about a family of four going to the movies, at um, you know, so if if you're figuring an average, like an average ticket of ten dollars a piece, that's you know forty dollars. You're not gonna go. You're not gonna go see Booksmart. You're going to go see Aladdin. You're going to go see Avengers. You're gonna go see one of the one of the ones that is gonna keep the kids entertained. Yeah, uh, and this movie is not going to keep a ten-year-old boy interested, particularly. It might some ten-year-old boys maybe, um, but that's just not going to be the place that you're immediately going to go to. So I do think that some of the demographics have changed. I think that some of the sociology has changed. I think that things like streaming and VOD have altered the way that we look at these kinds of films. Uh, and there is that tendency to be like, you know, Booksmart is something that you can put off, right? I don't need to see it in a theater. I can I can get it when it comes out on Amazon or when it comes out on Netflix or wherever else, um, and so I think that 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 there has been a cultural shift just in the way that people go to the movies and the way that people consume films and also what films are available and when they're available. Uh, like I mean, even in talking with my parents about this film, they hadn't heard of it, and I was like, well, but it's been everywhere, you know, it's been in trailers, it's I. I you know, seen advertisements. Like I live in New York city. My parents live in upstate New York in the middle of nowhere. So there's, there's a conflict there that's going on. So I, I don't know if any of that completely explains why one film is doing well and why one film did really well and Booksmart didn't do as well, but it's, I, I think that at least some of those factors have fed into it. Yeah, I think that's true. And the thing is too, that, I mean, now we have two years in a row where the big Memorial Day movie, which happened to be from Disney, made over a hundred million dollars. But it was a long time uh, that that didn't happen. Like Memorial Day weekend has not been the big box office weekend that people assume it's going to be. Well, and that brings us to talking about the movie itself. We, you, Karen, you and I saw it at South by. Um, I don't get to yes. go see it again until Tuesday. Um, so I'm excited. I saw it again on Thursday night. So so jealous. And, and Lauren, you saw it yesterday, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think we all agree that we love it. Yes. Currently my favorite movie of the year. Yeah. I want to see it again before I make that statement. Um, I, you know, it's, it's funny. There is a, a female critic who shall remain nameless who said, do we like book smart because it's good because we feel like we have to because it's a female director and then proceeded to say all the things she didn't like about it. Um, and, you know, that's a really basic statement to make at this point. Um, but Booksmart does not conform to that. I wish, and I know a lot of other women have said this, I wish this movie existed when I was growing up because I feel like Olivia Wilde and, and the amazing screenwriters really capture the fear of being a a kind of an introvert in high school. I think it's, it's easy to look at films about high school in general and especially about men. We, we talk about super bad, you know, there's still this cachet of cool, you know, you either get movies about the cool person, a la Ferris Bueller or the wallflower. 
And here, I love that it's two girls who worked really hard and believe that they should be entitled to, you know, lording that over people. Um, and at the same time, everybody around them was also very smart. They just never really took a chance to get to know those people. Um, and it really looks at the dynamics of high school in a very unique way. And as a teenage girl who was very, very much like Beanie Feldstein in, in high school, like, I really felt that something was finally being said about about that experience. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Um, watching this, there were mo- there were moments that like I really just wanted to bust out my phone and text some of my friends and be like, guys, guys, this was us. This was us. Oh my god. Uh, and 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 it's true. But I I think that there is that sense of like you know I I like the fact that they kind of realize they're like we didn't. it's not so much that they missed something they didn't um they didn't like you said they didn't get to know these people that actually turn out to be very interesting quirky bizarre unexpected people and i I liked the fact that this film kind of took many of the tropes that we expect from high school movies and made them real human beings made them like you know yeah, the weird stoner guy who's been held back three grades, but also is brilliant, is a brilliant coder. You know, the the apparent idiot jock who, you know, knows things about Harry Potter, that kind of thing. And and I liked that because it developed them as people and into being like, you know, we're because in high school, there's that sense that we are all tropes, right? We're you're the nerd, the jock, the the weird kid, the theater kid. But you're also a full person and a real person and you're trying on different personalities and all of that. And I liked that the film actually addressed that in a really nuanced and, and just very, very funny way. I mean, there is not a bad actor in this group. Yeah. They were all hilarious. They are. That's actually, I just wanted to jump in. Sorry to cut you off, Lauren, but I just wanted to jump in on specifically on what you're saying, because this is, I think one of the things that makes books art, Booksmart so special and sets it apart from some other films that it's easy to compare to like Superbad where even these characters that are not the main characters they're these side characters that just kind of come and go throughout the story even though we don't get to know a lot about them you get the sense that every one of them has been developed as an actual character and like even though we don't get to know what their majors are going to be necessarily or what their family lives are like you get a sense that all the actors have taken the time to figure that out and that these are to them these are real people and I think that that really makes it a a very rich well-developed well-defined world yeah you you get the sense of that you're actually just sort of dropping down into the middle of something And that these kids have had lives before the film began and they're going to have lives after the film began. And what we're getting is just a little portion of that. And and, and a a formative portion, especially for the two main characters, that this kind of changes the way that they look at the world and and helps them to begin growing up because that's part of what the other that's the other part of what the film is about is about being like, okay, we're, we're leaving high school. We're kind of, you know, that sort of desire when you're going off to college of like, we're going to leave some of this stuff behind us, but also what have we understood from this experience? You know, what have we learned here today? Um, and, and I liked that, that it, it was actually like, yeah, these kids are, are moving towards 
being college kids and being adults and making their own stupid mistakes and having their first experiences with drugs and with booze and, and with sex and all that. And it's weird and uncomfortable and bizarre and not always fun, but sometimes a lot of fun. And, and you've got all of that kind of pushed together into this film and they are going to go on and have very different lives and that's okay. Exactly. And I just, I, I think that, I think one of the biggest things about this movie, it's, it really does look at how we see others and in the context, like mixing that in the context of how we think others see us. And this is a film that really gets into that idea of judging and why you shouldn't just judge the people around you. Um, especially when you don't know that much, you know, these girls, Molly and Amy, Beanie Feldstein and Caitlin Deaver, who are fantastic. Um, yeah. Great, great performances from both of them. Their chemistry is just unbelievably good. Um, but there are these two girls who, who know that the rest of the school is judging them, but they're also judging everybody else too. And I think Lauren, you made a really good point too on, on, uh, was it on the Slack where you were talking about how none of these kids are villains? There's not a villain in this movie. It's just a bunch of yeah. people trying to figure their shit out. And that's exactly right. And and I, I mean, I think you see that from the very beginning. When we first meet Molly, we meet her in the context of, like, the way that she's first introduced. It's like, man, I know I'm supposed to care about her. And she's one of the, the protagonists of this story. But she'd be someone that would be hard for me to take, too. You know? I mean, she's... She is very um, demanding. She's very, it's the last day of school. It's California. It's Los Angeles. It's the last day of school. She's wearing a turtleneck and trying to make plans for next year when she's not even going to be there. It's like, yeah, that's a kid that would be kind of annoying. And they don't shy away from that. And I really love that because when you get to see her through this journey of this one night, everything that comes, you really care about her and you get to see her really experienced change and I, I think it's brilliantly done and billy lord is amazing oh my gosh yeah. yes yes billy lord i i swear to god i knew that chick in high school and i really like want to find <laughs> that person again and be like dude i understand now but i should seriously uh, yeah. send you guys a picture because the way she looks in this movie, she looks so much like my cousin did in high school that it was it like weirded me out. It's like that's it's Christy. That's my cousin Christy. <laughs> and I will say that I love that for another year we get female sung renditions of Unchained Melody between this and <laughs> Bad Times at the El Royale. <laughs> I love it. Yep. So yeah, go see Booksmart. It's, it's uh, I, I was amazing. just gonna say. I, I love the way that the, the the girls in particular talk to each other. One of my favorite like running gags throughout the entire film is whenever they see each other in new clothes, <laughs> the compliments. Yes. And I just uh -huh. love that. Just like you are, pr I my breath literally gone. Like all of that <laughs> stuff. I loved that. And I love the, the development of their friendship and the fact that there are fights and disagreements and there are things they don't like about each other, but that they are such good friends and that they obviously adore each other they really do talk to one another the way that girls talk to each other and i i liked seeing that again on screen 
someone the other day was trying to tell me that like oh well that fight they have is so ridiculous because how do they just get over it that fast I'm like okay if you don't think that's realistic then clearly you were never a teenage girl with a best friend because that is so realistic to just have this crazy fight and then when when Amy or when Molly realizes what was really going on then it's like yeah it all makes perfect sense and it's like they love each other they're they love each other so much that they're able to understand where the lines are and I think it's just such a beautiful display and I do want to give them a shout out for having a hilarious discussion about female masturbation it's a topic (laughs) that is not explored in cinema with women enough for me and I was just laughing so much at at the whole thing and that <laughs> and the way that scene is filmed too, with like the close-ups on everybody's face, it's beautifully filmed. There are so many beautiful shots uh-huh. in this movie. Um, well, that's something else COVID that I wanted to. Oh, one. Oh, I was just to say the shots, the camera work. That's something else I wanted to to mention. Um, and for anybody who's listened to me talk about this on any of the four other podcasts I've talked about it on this weekend, I'm sorry, but um, I really love the way that the the way that gaze is handled and like when people are introduced like when you first meet this girl that amy has this crush on it's not that lingering shot going down her body like so many of these teen comedies that are about boys do or even just any movie about guys looking at like the girl that they're lusting after it's it's showing this girl in the process of what she does, what her activity is. And it does that throughout the movie. Whenever you're in, you're meeting someone who is like supposed to be in, you know, someone of interest, the way that they're introduced is active in whatever their interests are, whatever activity they're doing right at that moment. It's not just about objectifying them. Yeah. That, that was one of the things that I, you know, I mean, we were talking about blue is the warmest color earlier. I was going to um, say, yeah, very, but, very different and, and discussion. Ta- yeah. And talking about the, the at- attempted sex scene, um, that like, even just watching that and it's actually, they go pretty far with that scene. Like they spend a lot of time there. And again, I liked it that it it was very female. It was not, there was not any kind of puerile interest in these two girls kind of fumbling with each other, basically. Um, it was actually like, you know, like you're saying, there's none of that lingering shots on bodies or anything else. And you're, and you're also dealing with teenage girls, so there's that. Um, but it felt like, yeah, this, this makes sense. This is the way, this is the way that you are when you're a teenager. Just like, I am confused and afraid. And like, I don't know entirely what to do, but I'm trying and I'm trying to figure it out. And, and it, it works so well. And, and it comes off as being this very, it's a, actually a very sweet scene for the most part until, until the end. And then you're like, Oh God, <laughs> this poor girl, this poor girl. But that, that was the other thing. Nothing that happens in the film is traumatizing like it isn't one of the things that i kept on coming back to and and it's it's a very different kind of film from eighth grade but the way that things were filmed and the way that these kids talk to each other there was never that lingering sense of like someone is going to get hurt someone is going to get assaulted someone is going like something really bad is going to happen it's like no this isn't about you know going through trauma as a teenager it's it's about 
you know, it's about having fun as a teenager. And it's also about just all of the kind of day to day weird shit that goes down sometimes. And I, again, I liked that. I liked the fact that this was generally a very happy, positive, joyful film. Yes. I do love to, I'm just going to throw out things that I love that I wanted to go to their murder mystery party. (laughs) I really wanted to hang out with that kid who, uh, one of my favorite lines is him just singing you ought to know and adding in the guy he's dating's name <laughs> amazing um and it's got a script co-written by uh the the woman who wrote the spy who dumped me so more movies i love they're all just interconnected yay <laughs> any other final thoughts go see booksmart go see it go see it yeah yay. billy lord is is the best billy like, lord is, is lord literally (laughs) um so that's gonna close out this episode there are numerous ways to listen we are uh on stitcher radio we're on podbean we're all over the place we are officially now on soundcloud as well as spotify if you're listening on itunes consider helping us out and leaving us a rating and a review uh you can follow us on all the medias we are on twitter at citizen dame pod instagram at citizen dame pod and Facebook at facebook.com slash citizendame. If you're old school and you want to email us, you can do that at citizendamepod at gmail.com. And our website where we do movie reviews, our regular top fives, all of that is citizendamepod.com. If you want to uh, get some more bang for your buck, you can also have uh, some options there. We have merchandise at our Zazzle store, which is zazzle.com slash citizendame. And if you want to kick us a couple dollars, you can do that at our Ko-Fi account, ko-fi.com slash citizendame. But if you want to get the most stuff for your dollar, that's over at Patreon, patreon.com slash citizen dame you get access to all of these episodes as well as all of our bonus content 48 hours early you get access to pins and other exclusive merchandise uh if you want i actually put up a flashy new page on citizen dame uh pod.com where you can list five reasons why you should become a patron and it lays out all the awesome things that your dollar does for us so uh head on over to that we're going to be prepping to record our man from uncle episode coming soon i'm so excited for karen to see it she's never seen it i'm hoping she likes it what do you think honestly is gonna happen with that (laughs) i think you're i think you're gonna dislike it in all honesty Mm -hmm. i i mean i know guy Ritchie, but guy Ritchie did make you know sherlock you like that yeah but also i don't like henry cavill are you not, a, like, literally, do you have a gnome down there? How do you not like Henry Cavill? <laughs> that's, that's unfeminine to say, I think. I mean, I find him very boring. I mean, gra- granted, he's the more boring character in that movie. I'm not a big fan of The Man from Uncle, but I actually like Army Hammer in it. So, oh, you know, well, you, I mean, who does for that. Yeah. I know, it's official. I think Karen is a Barbie doll. She's got smooth bits down there. There's, like, no definition. Um, <laughs> I'm on a drug trip. I should stop eating strawberries from Billy Lord. <laughs> I'm top heavy. This is not possible. <laughs> what are these proportions? <laughs> I do like that, that the one, I forget, was it Kayla Deaver or Beanie Feldstein that's like, oh, I could get with this. Like, this is awesome. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was Kayla Deaver, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Again, go see Booksmart. It'll all make sense. <laughs> so yeah, um, what does everybody have on tap for this week? I think oh, I have Godzilla. I'm seeing Ma. Oh, that's right. I am going. Ooh. I am seeing Ma. Oh, cool. Uh, maybe I'll see you there. And I'm going to some event with Adam Sandler. So. I'm sorry. Mm. <laughs> I like Adam Sandler. You like Adam Sandler, but you don't like Henry Cavill. There, this does not make sense. I don't like Adam Sandler that way. <laughs> I I don't know. Karen, up is down. I find him hilarious. Right is wrong. Adam Sandler is apparently Karen's favorite person now. I don't know. What? Um, so I'm going to close this before we, we say something that's going to get us in trouble. Um, until next time, everybody. Karen loves Adam Sandler. Like, just... Stop recording. <laughs> uh, yeah. Mark thy calendars and make thy plans to attend the drama department's summer program, Shakespeare in the Park. King Lot. We will be performing the Bart's comedies as modern tragedies outside Whole Foods across town. It's actually funny. It's, it's what we did in my summer program last year in Barcelona, when I lived in Barcelona. Mm. I will be directing, and Alan may be starring pending auditions. I don't audition. I'm offer only. This looks fun, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be here. Yeah, Amy's spending the summer in Botswana helping women make their own tampons. Gross. Well, blood attracts lions. I'm saving lives. Oh, okay. Well, that's actually noble. I, too, have a fear of big cats. And I can't because I'm working all summer and also I don't want to. You are a Philistine. Why would you do theater when you could do debate? Because some of us enjoy working with others. And some of us know how to win. Nobody's winning in that outfit. <laughs>